Welcome to another episode of Unafraid with Josh and Nate. Let's get to the show. All right, guys, here we are today. Another podcast coming your way. And we've got an exciting one in store for us today. We are going to be talking a little bit about the Jesus Revolution that took place in the 60s and 70s. It was a worldwide revival of hippie culture <laughs> towards Christianity. And uh, then we're going to uh, move that into legacy. And we are very lucky today to be joined by Pastor Jody Mays. And he is here because he grew up in that era. Welcome, Jody. Hey, good to see you guys. And as always, we're also joined by Nasty Nate. Hello. How's it going, Papa Joe? It's good to see you, brother. You've really grown up over the years. I've, I've known him and his family for pretty, pretty, pretty long time. Yeah, my, years uh, or so. You and his dad used to go to fellowship together. We correct? did. We we did. We did you guys church have, together for a while. You guys have very. We'll get into it a little bit later, but you guys have very similar uh, stories of growing up. Yes, but I've never been beaten by anyone's story except your dad's <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of the wildest and craziest stories i've ever heard man yeah he'll, puts mine to shame we're gonna have him on uh probably when we get back from the cruise and he'll talk about that okay story yeah it'll be a good one yeah. it'll take a while <laughs> that's what he warned me he said well we're gonna do coffee but it takes me a while to, <laughs> and i thought oh, okay but, and it did but it took a while and you're like Wow, now that was a story. <laughs> yeah, you kind of need a map just to get through it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, who was who? Who? You know, I just kept asking questions along the way. So, so, so I feel like I've known you, even though I've been real close to your parents. Oh, so yeah. Nathan was actually talking to his dad Tuesday night before service, and his dad, uh, dad had some wise words for us about you, Jody. Oh, really? Oh, that's so. I told scary. him about your Seahawks comment, and. Uh, he goes, good job showing your colors. <laughs> he goes, one more thing. Beware of Jody, especially in a Bible study environment. He comes across all great, wonderful, and awesome, but that's only his natural personality. Under that is a scheming mind that's always <laughs> looking to improve people he interacts with. For instance, he started the Bible study years ago for older folks called the half-timers. Then one day, he wasn't leading anymore. I was, and still am. Watch him. He's tricky. <laughs> oh, God, I'm exposed before. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, that I, sounds just exactly like your dad, what he I, would do. And I responded back to him saying, yeah, he's he, as in you, are one of the few people that I can tell is thinking more than he's saying when he's shaking your hand and asks how you're doing. You know, even after you answer, you, like if, if you're like, hey, Nathan, how's it going? And I say, oh, I'm doing pretty good. You just like, you hold that hand for a little bit <laughs> and you stare into the eyes like, there's more. Tell me more. Yeah, We're going to get this your story. Here. That's my yeah. next question. Well, why don't you tell me your story, man? So. Well, speaking of that, hey, why don't we... Uh, so, yeah. Why don't I we tell like your I'm story? On, it's uh, tables turned here. And so yeah. I'm here to tell you my story. So, But I appreciate the opportunity to do it. Love you two guys. I have the, the privilege to kind of co-lead a small group that both these guys are in and they're the real deal so well appreciate it so let's just kick it off what 
What was life like? You yourself are a first-generation Christian. That's exactly right. So what was life like growing up in a non-Christian household, and not just that, in the 60s? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was a bad combination. So I, uh, I'm a West Texas boy, and um, so I grew up out in, I grew up, I was born in Odessa, Texas, and then raised in Midland. Uh, one of the most significant things that happened in my life was early. My, I was three years old, and my dad uh, went fishing and was in a real bad car wreck and never came home. So he, he died uh, in a car wreck. And so my mom uh, had an affair with um, an, a married man, and uh, he ended up uh, uh, leaving another woman for my mom. And so he had a couple of kids, and my mom had three of us, and so that made five. And then they had a couple. So we had seven kids and, uh, and in this totally dysfunctional home. No Jesus, no church, uh, just... Uh, my mom was really into things like astrology and witchcraft. And, and so there just really wasn't any um, Christian influence at all growing up. And, uh, but the 60s were, um, man, I look back on them, and they were really, really turbulent years in America. And, um, I mean, when we just came through COVID, you know, with all the uh, rioting and all that stuff that I go, man, I've seen this before, uh, in the sixties and, um, sixties were really a different time. I remember where in 1963, I was a seventh grader at, uh, San Jacinto junior high. And, uh, they came over the loudspeaker and said that, uh, president John Kennedy has been shot and, uh, school is out. And, uh, so, that was a significant thing for our country. You know, everyone knows the story of JFK dying. Uh, there was a couple of other real key characters in the 60s that were really uh, making an impact. Uh, Martin Luther King came on the scene in the 60s with the Civil Rights Movement um, and uh, took a different approach than what we've seen uh, with some of the organizations nowadays. But he was a Baptist preacher's son, and uh, he just basically followed the principles of Jesus, and so he began to march uh, peacefully. All of it was peaceful. Um, no fighting, no rioting, um, but he was convinced that uh, America was uh, segregated in 1966. Um, at Midland High School, uh, they shut down the black uh, high school and moved them into Midland High School. And my memories of that was that, uh, man, you never knew what was going to happen when the bell rang between classes because uh, the black guys and the cowboys just, I mean, just fought. Wow. I'm not talking talking trash to people. I mean, like fist fights yeah. in, the, you know, in the hallway. And, uh, and so it's a very, very turbulent time in America. And then Martin Luther King, King in 1968 was shot and killed, uh, uh, and uh, that was very significant uh, for those particular times. Um, and then there was another significant character character on the scene, Robert F. Kennedy, who was John Kennedy's, Kennedy's little brother, and uh, he was running for president and was kind of looked at as, you know, the 
not the savior of America, but was going to calm down the political scene. And then he was shot and killed. And, uh, and so it was just a really turbulent time in America uh, growing up and watching all this happen. Um, it, uh, I'd, I'd say that um, it was a real season of had a, there, there was a spirit of rebelliousness in, um, in America. Um, I similar, guess the, similar one to kind of what we see today. It is. It yeah. is. It actually is uh, against the government. Yeah. Uh, you know, people were marching against the government. Uh, there was a very uh, uh, controversial war. The Vietnam War was going on. People wanted to get out of it. Uh, we had a president, Richard Nixon, uh, was elected in 1968. Uh, he just he didn't really uh, unite the country. He divided the country, and uh, and so it just got it was just wild and crazy. Watergate. Uh, where people lost a lot of confidence in the government. So you're right, brother. It's very similar to what it is today. Um, you've heard of Woodstock, I'm sure. Oh, Everyone's yeah. heard of Woodstock. Oh, yeah. You know, 19, 1969, there's supposed to be a little rock concert. Up in, just in, a small one. Just a small one. Yeah, yeah they, they expected like, you know, 50,000 people. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do with 50,000 people? And um, over 500,000 hippies all, you know, uh, met and um, for, I don't know how long it actually went, but... Uh, Were you one of those hippies? Well, you know, it's funny you say that, brother, because they say that if everybody who says they were there was there, there would have been like over 4 million people. <laughs> and so people were saying, oh, yeah, 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 I was there, man. I was there at uh, Woodstock. But no, I was not. But I was watching all of this. Uh, I was like the, the hippies at uh, Woodstock. I was very disgruntled about the government. Uh, I didn't want to go fight in Vietnam. Uh, I didn't believe in the war. And um, even though I was, uh, when I was a, a sophomore in college, they took away the student deferment where, you know, they were, they felt like it was really the minorities and the poor kids were the ones doing all the fighting. So they took away all the college kids deferments and, and they had a lottery and I can never forget that night because they basically were on TV and they were drawing birthdays, you know, mm -hmm. so you three, 365 and I'm just sitting there hoping I get a big number. And I was like number 15 oh, wow. and I'm like, I think I'm going to Vietnam. And so, um, that was real tumultuous, but for some reason I failed my physical. I'd had an injury in high school when I was playing sports and, uh, I think it was really just divine uh, intervention that God kept me from going to Vietnam. I'm really Thank probably, you, Jesus. I really feel like I probably would have been one of those guys come back with PTSD, you know, kind of a, a emotional, sensitive kind of kid back in those days. And, you know, I would have probably been a casualty, maybe not dying, but uh, I know it would have messed me up to go to Vietnam. Yeah. And so um, I got real disgruntled. Uh, I'd always been an athlete, but didn't get a scholarship. Got in with the wrong guys. And for three years, man, I just did the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, man. I mean, I just went all in on the 60s. And, uh, and in 1973... Man, I just hit the bottom, and um, the guy I was living with was um, uh, smuggling marijuana across the border, and he got busted, and I just went, you know, 
I am living just such a loser life, you know, smoking pot every day, uh, drinking alcohol every day, doing psychedelic drugs, um, having sex with girls. And I was just a, I was a mess. I was just completely lost and had no idea uh, where I was going, but I knew that I'd hit the bottom. So you said you, you were got into sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, you know, it sounds like a lot of people were doing that kind of searching. And what would you say that people were specifically searching for or how, you know, obviously this was how they were searching for it. So what, what do you think they were searching for in that time? To be honest with you, brother, I'm, I'm not sure we knew what we were searching for. All we knew was that we were just empty and that life just seemed to not have any meaning at all. And, uh, and so we just did what felt good. You know, what we felt like felt good at the time, you know, just pleasure. It was all about just uh, seeking the next uh, high or uh, the next, you know, sexual encounter with a female or it was just it was just complete lostness. I mean, it was just dark and it was evil and it was hopeless. And so it wasn't like we were all like, man, I wish we could like figure out you know what it what it is we all need but i know you two guys understand that um i do really believe that god kind of creates us with the hole inside of us that only he can fill and so we have this sense of emptiness but we're not sure why or what it is we're looking for yeah so uh, so. so then in 1973 okay. you meet your now wife that's right that's and right. decide i want to change that's exactly right. Was that an instant decision on your part? Like when you guys met, was was it like I met her and I immediately knew I need something different in my life? Okay. It's really, that's a really good question, Nathan. And, and this is where the story gets really interesting. So I had no idea. When I left Austin, uh, I'm just like, I'm just getting the hell out of here. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm not going to stay here because I'm probably going to end up dying from drugs or I'm going to, uh, you know, just totally destroy my life. And so I left Austin and my sister was living in Denver and she goes, why don't you just come up here, man? Why don't you come up here and live with us for a while? And uh, I got this girl I want you to meet, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, oh boy, yeah, blind date, drive all the way from Austin to Denver for a blind date. But this is kind of interesting. I don't tell this a lot of times during the story, but so on my way to Denver, I stopped in Fort Worth, and uh, that's where my family lived. And and I got with a bunch of my guys, and we all got high. We were getting high and everything. And they go, "Hey, man, you're like going to Denver. Well, let's see what the we uh, what uh, uh, the um, tarot cards say about your future up there." Oh, okay. And so yeah, this is this is what we did. It's how we were so wise that we sought the counsel of tarot cards, and so he lays them all out, man. You know, puts them all out, and they're all down, face down, and and I'm just sitting there, and uh, and first card in the middle, he he turns it over, and it's the devil, and I'm like, ooh, and he went, oh no, man, that's a good card. What the? Oh, wow. that's a good card. He said, oh yeah, no, that's a good card. And so it was, it was just interesting how, you know, Satan knew that I'm on this journey and God's got his, his hand on my life and uh, Satan's just trying to distract me. So 
But then this is where the story gets interesting because I didn't go to Denver searching for God. Um, I was really, and so... Uh, my, you were just looking for a change in your life. That's exactly right. I knew I could not keep doing what I was doing. Yeah. I couldn't. I knew it was just destruction. But it's funny that on the way there, you stop in Fort Worth and say, well, just one more time. You know? <laughs> yeah, just one more time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, so I pull into Denver, and my sister goes, okay, I got you a date with this girl. And I'm like, okay, okay. And so we, we drive to a park in Denver, and um, there's like three girls' softball games going, all these young college girls with you know, short shorts and you know, tan. And, and my sister goes, well, pick her out. And I'm like, <laughs> pick her out? I've never seen her. We thought, hell, just pick her out. And my sister's this honorary Texas girl. And so I look at all these girls, which wasn't bad, you know, checking all these beautiful chicks out. And, uh, and I go, well, I hope it's that uh, center fielder on the middle field. And she said, that's her. Nice. And I'm like, wow, man, that's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. And so uh, we had a date that night and everything went great. And she was gorgeous and seemed like she was interesting. And, and so uh, she goes, Hey, would you like to go? Uh, I'm looking at this little church. I'm Catholic. I was raised Catholic in Kansas. And I got this little church I've just been kind of visiting on Sunday night. Would you like to go? And I'm thinking to myself, church? You know, I was probably thinking, can't we like have sex or something like that? But I hate to say that, but it's probably what I was thinking. But, mm-hmm. but I said, well, sure. I'm thinking, man, I'll go anywhere, you know, with you. So we, we uh, walked into this little Baptist Church, and um, uh, and man, I was really uncomfortable. You know, I walk in, and this is where I really related to, you know, the Jesus Revolution movie of being this hippie walking into this, you know, this very traditional church in the six in the seventies, and so uh, you know, everybody's in there with ties and coats, and I come in with my bell-bottom jeans with holes in them and long hair and. You know, hippie guy, and and uh, we sat in the back row, and man, there was this fiery young preacher from Baylor that was just man preaching hellfire and damnation. Young guy, about my age, but man, just slobbering all over himself. Man, I mean, I'm like, man, I, that guy believes whatever he's talking about. He really believes it. And so I was real uncomfortable during the service, you know. And so when uh, uh, when service is almost over, when we're praying, when everybody's looking down, I said, we need, we need to go. We need to leave. So we, we stuck out, and I said, man, that's, that's crazy. So how did, they, how did the Baptists receive you when you came in? Well, they just were very uncomfortable. Yeah. Know? I mean, I could just, you know, you could just sense that, like, what are you doing here? And... Um, and so, um, just not a very welcoming feeling. No, 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 no. They were just like, what are you doing in church? And so when you see the movie, it's just, it was just relived all of those things. Yeah. You know, when, when he shows up into that little church and all those little people are all dressed up. And so this is where I really didn't realize what was going on, but this is where God revealed himself to me. So, all right. So we sneak out and we, and so then she goes, well, my car's in the shop. Would you like mind taking me to work tomorrow? And I'm like, 
man, this is like going great, man. You know, <laughs> she's like, asked me to go to church. I'm like, take her to work. And I'm like, man, this is unbelievable. So I took her downtown Denver. We were probably 15 miles in that little Baptist church, 15 miles in a suburb of Denver. And I uh, dropped her off at GE and I'm driving off and this big giant cop steps out in front of me and points me over and I'm like, oh crap, have I got some marijuana in here? You know, I'm thinking I've been here like one day and I'm gonna get busted. And he's sitting there looking and he goes, you know what you did, Ron? I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, well, you were in the turn lane, you went straight. But he kept looking at me and he said, you look real familiar. And I'm like, oh no, no, no. I'm from Texas, man. I've only been here like a year. I've never seen you before in my life. And he goes, were you in a little Baptist church last night? Oh, wow. And I went, yes, sir. And he said, I'll tell you what, man. He said, if you come to church next Sunday morning, I won't write you a ticket. And I said, I'll Done. be there. <laughs> I'll be there. And so that just, you know, I, and so I didn't, and so the next Sunday, Joanne and I went to a Sunday morning service and I pulled up and I, and he's standing on the porch waiting for me. And it's like not, straight out of a movie. Oh, brother. I mean, it's just, you'll, it's just a, it's a God thing. Yeah. And so, man, I'm just like, oh, man. So I remember I walked up to him and I stuck my hand out to shake his hand and, um, and he just pushed my hand away and he hugged me. And uh, I had never been hugged by a man ever in my life, ever. And he told me, he said, I love you, man. And I'd never been told, you know, by a man, I love you. What was your initial reaction in that moment? I was just total. I, this is what I said to him, Nathan. I said, I'm a really bad guy. And he said, I don't really care. That's great. And he was my introduction. What a great thing to say. Oh, brother. It was just, I was just overwhelmed with being loved and accepted and having been just a complete mess of my life. And all he saw in me was just this broken boy that needed to be loved and told about Jesus. Which is how we should all see each oh, other. Oh, brother. Oh, it was just the, the love was just, I'm just, just like, I don't know what this guy's got. But whatever this guy's got, I want what he's got. Mm -hmm. And so over the next, and so Joanne and I uh, just pushed all in, started going there. And, um, and we were just like, the people began to realize, you know, that we were, you know, that we're different, but that they loved us unconditionally. We ended up giving our lives to Jesus. And then in the movie, you remember when he got baptized? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You remember when Lowry, Greg Lowry got baptized and he just, I loved it in the movie where it was just like, he's just, you know, underneath the water and it was just, and so when I got baptized, I just came out of that church. I felt like I feel like everything I've done wrong has all been washed away. Wow. And I am clean. It was almost like a Disney movie, bro. You know, like little birds or yeah. something. And then I'm just like, man. And so Joanne and I, uh, from the time we met, uh, we both got born again, radically born again. And then uh, and how long married. was that time frame? Uh, three months. Three months. Three months. Wow. So my family back in Texas thought Jody's gone crazy. 
He's gone crazy. <laughs> he goes up there, this fun-loving hippie guy, this, the life of the party, you know, loves to get drunk high and makes all laugh. And now he's this Jesus freak. And they called, you know, that was what we were called back in those days. The, now he's a Jesus freak, and he marries some girl that he's only known for three months. So and you guys married in three months? As we well? did. Yes. Wow. From the yeah, yeah. That's so, awesome. <laughs> so you you mentioned you said how head over heels you were when you saw her. Yes. What's her takeaway from when she first saw you? Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, everybody back in those days had long hair, so it wasn't like. Uh, I mean, she had a job. She wasn't quite as wild as I was, and she came from a real traditional uh, Catholic church in Kansas, farm girl and hard worker and. But she always, she always says she always wanted to marry a Texan. Well, man, in those days, man, I was like tall and, you know, slim and, and I had a Texas accent. And so she just like, man, I, I love this guy. I like the way he talks. And, you know, so we fell madly in love, but we were just radically born again. Yeah. And I mean, literally born again. We're like... We were just completely different from that point. And here um, on August 18th, uh, we'll be married 50 years. That's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. So, is that not a great story? But, it's a great story. But, but what I learned about it, brother, was that I wasn't searching for God, but God was searching for me. Yeah. He was pursuing me. He was pursuing you. Because I didn't, I didn't know what I was looking for. But when, and then when I heard the gospel for the first time, Nathan, I felt like, I feel like I've been looking for this all my life, and I've, I've never known what it was that I was looking for. Yeah. And so it was just like, man, and, uh, and so that began, you know, the, our life together. And yeah. she didn't, I didn't know that, I would be called to be a preacher. She didn't marry a preacher. You know, she just married this Texas guy and then God's calling on my life. And so then it just took a whole so, nother, you know, <laughs> so, so anyway. So I know it, it doesn't sound like it was this way for you. It may have been correct okay. me if I'm wrong, but I know a lot of people in that era, you know, were struggling when they first had that feeling that, you know, how do I know this isn't just another high how do I know it's not another drug or I'm just being manipulated by the feelings that I'm feeling right now the same way that the sex, drugs, and rock and roll did? Yeah, good so did you ever experience that? You know, uh, I, I really never did. I really never did. But I had a lot of friends that, uh, that did, you know, that, that kind of introduced me to Christianity and them and even discipled me. Uh, and numbers of them... Uh, fell back into the old ways but I never ever had a desire to ever go back to the old ways I was just resolute of that man if I can be forgiven for all the stuff that I did this is kind of a funny story so when that young pastor when I came back the second time he goes hey man you want to like talk in my office for a minute and I'm like I'm thinking, not really, you know, but yeah, okay. And so he asked me like these 10 questions and and they're basically were the 10 commandments. You know, have you ever had sex outside of marriage? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and he just kind of goes down the list and, and he said, I don't think I've ever had anybody that's, 
you know, scored the 10 that you scored. And I said, 10, <laughs> 10 million, I made an A. And he said, no, you made like zero. You <laughs> ten, out of, 10 out of 10. You <laughs> 10, hit out, them all. 10 out of 10. And I could have broken all of the commandments. And, and so I, I had no problem uh, accepting the fact that I was a sinner in need of grace. I had no problem with that. And so when I met Jesus, it was just like, oh my gosh, this guy died for me and cleansed me of all my sin, past, present, and future. And so I just, I never really struggled with my faith ever. I've just wow. been resolute, just. Now you said some of your friends and stuff did. They did. So they did. What, it, what advice, because nowadays people also experience the same thing. They'll they come do. to Christ, they'll fall away, they'll get in with the wrong crowd again. So what would your advice be from that standpoint okay. to those people? That's a good point, brother, because I do. I do see it even, uh, you know, being a pastor for 40-some years, you know, these, and in our group uh, that we have that we all share on Tuesday nights. You know, there'll be guys come in there, man, give their lives to Christ, and, man, go all in, and next thing you know, they're just right back to their old ways. And so um, I wished I knew the answer to it because I would try to resolve it. But I think the key thing was for me was that I really broke off all of my uh, attachments to the past. Uh, you know, guys would call me, hey, don't you want to get high? No, I don't. I actually don't. I'm a, I'm a Jesus guy, you know. And so you have to kind of break off and, and allow God to bring new people in your life. Right. Which, I mean, like that group of guys, of 30 guys on Tuesday night that yeah. we all get together. I mean, you know, I just love those guys. Those Did you guys. ever find it hard to break off certain relationships that you knew were best left alone? Um, not really. Not really. Uh, I, I did. I think there was only, there was really one guy that... Um, we stayed friends. And it wasn't like I was just trying to... I'm too good for you guys. It wasn't like that. I just knew that I was different. And, it was for uh, yourself and for your own spirit. It was, yeah, and it was really for my own protection probably because I knew myself. You know, I knew that I'd come from all of that, and I just didn't want to be tempted. Oh, this is kind of, that's interesting you say that. Here's another interesting part of the story, mm -hmm. and it's exactly what you guys are talking about. So when I was also in Fort Worth, I went to this other house and we were smoking pot together and there was a guy there that I didn't really know. And, uh, and so I was said, I, Hey, I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to go for a walk. And he said, well, I'm going to walk with you. I'm like, okay. You know, so I didn't know this guy at all. And he asked me a question and, um, he said, um, if you, let's see, if you died tonight, would you know, if you would go to heaven or not. And I, and I told him, I said, well, I'm a pretty good guy. And I killed him by or robbed him banks. And, and, and all he said was, well, it takes more than that. And man, that just stuck in me. And I'm like, what does it take? What well, does it take to go to heaven? Well, that guy had actually been a pastor and had, was backslid in a backslidden state. And had kind of gone back. He was there and had gone back into smoking pot. He was a part of that group. And he was, and he told me later, he said, man, I felt so convicted that I didn't 
tell you what it was. Was I said, man, you said exactly what I needed to hear. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, for, still planting the seeds for those of he you. He planted a seed, and brother, it, I mean, I'd never even thought about that. But I'm like, what does it take? What do you do to go to heaven? I thought if you're just a good guy, you know, typical right. what most people think, right. you're just a good guy. And, um, but it, I, I think that what that what that shows me is that God can take anybody, even a backslidden pastor, and still use that for His glory. Absolutely, still um, use that to plant seeds. Um, Nathan, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And for those of you out there that are listening and asking that same question, what does it take? The Bible lays it out in Romans ten nine. Pretty simple. Yeah. What is Romans 10 9, Pastor Jody? Well, I'm, I'm kind of thinking here for a second. I know I should. Yeah, <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Help me. Uh, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord that's and confess right. with your tongue that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved. Yeah. And that's I mean, TJ Graney's favorite verse. It that's really why is. I should know it because he <laughs> uses that every time. Yeah. I mean, it really is that simple. You know, it's. <laughs> that's like, right. And then once, as you've said in your story, once you do those things, and you truly accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, your spirit is changed, and you walk away from the old life, and then the works then follow, because you have a new spirit in you. Yeah, and that was the 2 Corinthians 5, 17, any man in Christ is a new creation. All things are new, and all things, all the old things are all passed away. And that just described me perfectly. I just felt like I'm a totally different guy. Yeah. In fact, even as I shared that story, I'm like, I don't even know who that guy was, you know. But but having grown up without Christ, no influence, uh, you know, in the family, no one to kind of follow. And when I began to look at my generational line, began to understand, you know, generational sins, the only, there was really only one great-grandmother that was a Christian on in my line. And... Uh, um, but she was a godly, she was a godly lady, Granny Riley, and she'd be praying. She'd always be reading her Bible and always praying, and I just loved her, and she loved me. So as a little kid, I got my first picture of what a Christian looks like, really, by just Granny Riley. Yeah. You know, so. So here we are in, okay. the, in the 70s, okay. and now this revival is starting to permeate throughout the, the hippies. Yes. Yes. And did you know about the Jesus Revolution as it was oh, happening? It's funny you say that, Nathan, because I was just looking. I kind of looked back the history of it, and there was a uh, in 1972. Uh, it's a Jesus movement. It's mm-hmm. uh, in 1972. There was an event organized by Campus Crusade for Christ held at the Cotton Bowl Stadium in Dallas, in which. Leaders Bill Bright and Billy Graham were there, and there were 80,000 young people in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. And they were all Jesus people. And I was I was in Dallas, and, and we're just driving around, and all the time these, hip, these Jesus freaks are leaning out the window and going, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. We're kind of looking at each other like, man, they've got crazy. <laughs> well, 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 who's this Jesus guy? I mean, they're like flipping out. So I just thought that was neat because I couldn't remember. I remember I was in Dallas when that pitch kicker, we were over by the Cotton Bowl. And so they were just so zealot. And that was the thing about the movement. It just took these 
kids that were just lost as could be, you know, like me, and made zealots out of all of us. I mean, just, man, we would, uh, my introduction to Christianity was, man, I'd only been saved like a week or two, and this young pastor goes, well, man, we're going to go to Colfax Street, which is a really rough, tough street in where all the hookers and drug addicts are in Denver. And he goes, we're going to witness. And I'm like, well, what, what's witness? And he yeah. goes, he goes, man, you're going to tell them about Jesus. And I go, well, man, I don't know much about Jesus. He goes, well, he saved you, didn't he? And I go, yeah, well, just tell them that. And so I'm out there talking to all these hookers and drug guys and just like, man, you know, Jesus loves you. You know, so, so Does I that feel just, like a fruitful thing to be doing at such a young age in Christianity? <laughs> No, no, I would not recommend it. But it did teach me, brother, that I have a responsibility to tell other people about it. There and you go. so it was great That's training. Good takeaway. I, like I was that. kind of thrown in the deep water and and uh, he was just and so I just thought, well, that's just what Christians do. So yeah. he he did a good job of, you know, um so at the time that this Jesus revolution was going on in California, yes, right? Mainly California. What, was Denver experiencing yes. any any of that as yes. well? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, some of the some of the uh, uh, ministries that started out of that uh, were centered in Denver and Colorado Springs, and so yeah, it was it was all throughout the United States, and uh, but it did start in in California, and with Chuck Smith, and so. Man, I just, I, I told my kids and my grandkids, I go, man, if you if you want to understand Papa, you, you got to go watch this movie. Yeah. And I'll pay for all of your tickets and all the popcorn you want, but you got to go watch this movie because the story, Greg Lowry's story is, is almost exactly my story. Well, know? and I think that message is relevant to a lot of people oh, whose, peop, whose grandparents are your age. That's exactly you right. You know, they, they can learn a lot about their grandparents by going to see this movie. Um, so I actually found out from my dad <laughs> that when we lived in San Diego, California, we went to Calvary Chapel. We went to really, we went, went to, to a small Chapel. one of the small, right? Uh, I guess it, it was a offset of the right. like a satellite, main Absolutely. satellite, yeah, yeah. Satellite. Uh, and so I was asking my dad about that because I thought that that was it's part of my life. I was a elementary school kid, so I don't really remember incredibly well, but. My dad, when he got married, that was one of the big things that they did was decide they're going to start going to church and yeah. they're going to have their family go to church and stuff. And they originally got plugged in with Calvary Chapel uh, in California, which is more charismatic than yes. the type of church that we're going to now. And so he was texting me and, and I thought it was interesting. He said that our experience wasn't anything out of the ordinary. We lived in Mira Mesa, San Diego. From 83 to 88 and attended a, a small Calvary Chapel around 84 to 88. Our pastor was named Chuck, but not Smith. Our church met in a preschool, so every Sunday we helped set up and take down. So we're used to those small churches. You Absolutely. Know, like what we've experienced with you a couple of churches Absolutely. now. Freedom that's Fellowship. And, that's right. Uh, exactly. And exactly. Uh, so he said, uh, not like not unlike other churches we've been a part of. Uh, and I asked him if he had pictures from that time and he didn't recall that, but he said that, um, as he recalls, Calvary Chapel was developed from a Pentecostal origin with a charismatic tone to worship services. Uh, they left a four-square church in Seattle, which was also charismatic, so it was a good fit for them. 
And I asked my dad, like, well, why did y'all decide to stop attending charismatic style churches? Because when we moved okay. to Austin, uh, we started going to more of a uh, non-denominational, but more Baptist type church. Right. And he said it was more about proximity than style. We have never just attended a church intentionally. We believe going to a church includes being involved with that church, serving any and every way we can to meet the standard. We had to find a church we fit with that was close enough to make serving practical. We also believe once we commit to a church, it becomes home and we stop shopping for a better one. When we move here, we sought churches like Calvary and that's how we found Southwest fellowship and Gordon Stork. We stuck with that church until we believed it was in God's will. We move on. Uh, by then, we have established ourselves as more middle road Bible believers rather than charismatic spirit filled worshipers, okay. which I thought was very interesting because yeah. basically my church upbringing could have been vastly different had they stuck with the particular style that they were comfortable with or accustomed to. Instead, they were more concerned with not the style, but how can I be useful in the environment that I'm attending That's and, right. and my parents have never been ones that really want to make long trips places. They always want to stay <laughs> okay. in close proximity close. to where they are. Okay. And so that's why they chose to go to the church that they chose because it was just down the road basically. And so they knew that if they needed, if they were ever needed in a serving capacity, they could easily fill that void. Yeah. They could serve, they could serve directly in their community, which is what we're liking about vertical is that, is that it's so close to where we live. That's right. That it's so easy to say, yes, I can actually be there and I can actually help and, and serve in whatever way I'm needed. I can go to a Bible study. I can do a lot of things because it's not an inconvenience to get there. That's right. Well, and, and there's a lot to be said about it. And your parents, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, I'm trying to flatter you or anything, <laughs> but I mean, I, I know church people. And your parents uh, are two of the most servant leaders I've ever known in ministry. They, they don't go to church to just get. They, they go to church to, to serve. Yeah. And so you were really trained right. Most, and this is the part that I, you know, you kind of go, well, how did church change as a result of the Jesus movement? And, uh, and one of the ways it changed was it became more attractional, you know, in a, in a sense. Uh, a lot of churches, that's why big mega churches and what they call attractional. Music's really good, you mm -hmm. know, a lot, of, a lot of visual stuff and, and practical application scripture. But, but uh, and, and a lot of that has changed as a result of Calvary Chapel. But Did you in say some ways, I'm not... Did you say at some point that you were a pastor of one of those type of churches, those big yes. mega churches? Yeah. So what the, the background I had at the little church that I came to Christ in was Southern Baptist. And so I had not finished my undergraduate. So I, we moved to back to Fort Worth, Joanne and I, after we got married. And I went to Dallas Baptist University. And, I mean, those three professors in the Bible department taught me the Bible. I didn't, I didn't know one thing about the Bible. I didn't know one verse. <laughs> I didn't know a Bible story. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything. And so when I went to Dallas Baptist University and majored in Bible, I mean, it was just, and that's why I just fell in love with it. It's like, man, I can't get, I just, I mean, I'd wear Bibles out. I mean, I'm just like reading them. I'm like, I've never heard this in my life. 
this is a funny story. So back to that little church that I got saved in, you know, I don't even saved, you know, a few months. And so they didn't have anybody to, and it was, we didn't have any money. And uh, he goes, well, man, why don't you be my like uh, student minister? And I'm like, what is that? And he said, well, you teach, you know, junior high and high school kids about the Bible. And I go, I don't know the Bible. He goes, well, you'll figure it out. You know, and, and so, so some of the people in the church, the old timers, they're like, "Hey, got to get him cornered in his office." Like, "Hey, you're putting that hippie like over our kids," you know, and he don't even know the Bible. And this guy defended me. He goes, "Well, you know, he doesn't know the Bible yet, but he's saved, and I'm not real sure about you guys, uh, but I know he's uh, saved." Wow. And so I was teaching. That was and that was another thing that. Uh, Lowry did was yeah. he was put in charge of the junior high kids so I'm just like oh my god that was me I didn't make any money or and the kids but the, the kids defended me they liked me because I'd get the stories wrong and they just laugh and they they tell me no that's not the way it is you know <laughs> so, and I'm like oh man so so I want to sit on that reaction real quick for a second okay. because there was obviously the congregation was looking at you and they were saying well this guy's a hippie you know why nice. why are we going to put him in charge of something he doesn't know it very well you see a, a similar thing going on today in modern day where we have people that are truly searching for something. So how do we as a church try to look and see and help those people instead, instead of looking at them with misunderstanding um, and we make sure that we're keeping the doors open to them and not shutting them out? That's a good question. Um, I think if we take the great commandment, you know, to love God with all of our heart and soul, mind, strength, and love our neighbor as ourself, you know, and Jesus pretty much summarized the entire Bible for this guy. And uh, I wish it was just so simple that that verse really just meant the person on each side of, you know, that uh, in, my, in my neighborhood. But that's not really what it's saying. It's uh, saying that we're to love God with great passion and love people with great passion and love them like Jesus. And Jesus loves unconditionally. I mean, man, when you read the gospel, you go, that guy was such a radical. And that's what I loved about him because I was a radical. I was a revolutionary guy that, you know, man, we need to overthrow the government of the United States and these guys are idiots. And so I... So it appealed to me that Jesus was just so radical, you know, and that the people that he uh, was upset and angry with were the self-righteous people. Yeah, the polished people. Polished, I like that, brother. Yeah, they're polished. Yeah, and they look good. You know, he called them vipers. You look great mm -hmm. on the outside, but yeah. inside you're, you're, you know, you're, you're just bunch of vipers and I go mm -hmm. all right Jesus all right. you know and so I think and that was the thing that drew me you know when that big cop hugged me unconditionally and I'm like man I'm a bad guy and he goes I don't care and uh, but you know brother it's a challenge in today's world you know with all I mean I my heart breaks for my grandkids especially you know with all the confusing messages of our culture you know with uh you know, am I really a boy or a girl and just so confusing? Yeah. And so culture is just, I do think that I've never been a last guy's kind of guy. I've never been a last guy's preacher. 
but I'm just like, I just, I'm feeling like, you know, it could be this, my grandkids' generation, it is that last generation, because it just seems like we're on this downward slope of, of evil, you know, yeah. throughout the world. And so my hope is that um, there'll be a, rev- and I believe that even scripturally, that there'll be a great revival and it will probably come up from the the younger generation as we get closer to the end. Yeah, you know, and so, uh, but it's going to be really hard for them. It's yeah, really I, I, difficult. Like birth pains is what Scripture describes it as. Like like birthing a child right. as we end the the world as we know it. You know, so so. Yeah, I definitely can agree with you there. I think it's something that we need as a society right now. Is that that revival of the spirit because we have a lot of confusion going on in this world right now. And, um, one of the, uh, the, the lines from the movie that was (laughs) really, really interesting to me is that when Greg Lowry was on this search, he says, I want my name to mean something. Thank you for listening to part one of our interview with Jody Mays. Make sure to tune in next week for the remainder of this episode. Don't say that it's over. Thank you for listening to Unafraid with Josh and Nate. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can catch all of our new episodes. And please leave a review to help other people find our podcast.